Hi, I'm Calvin Pugh, and this is HIV Connect, a podcast from the International Association of Providers of AIDS Care, or IAPAC, that brings into focus what living with HIV looks like today. In each episode, I connect with clinicians, experts, and community leaders in conversations about clinical and psychosocial management issues, such as aging, stigma, and sexual health topics that matter to people living with HIV. On today's episode, we're talking about culturally responsive HIV care. And I am joined by Dr. Sheldon Fields, who is a nursing educator, practitioner, researcher, policy analyst, administrator, and entrepreneur. He is a well-known HIV prevention research scientist who has maintained a primary focus on HIV prevention and treatment among underserved people of color populations. And he owns the SDF Group LLC, a health innovations consultant company. He is a lifetime member of the National Black Nurses Association and currently serves as the association's 14th national president. In 2020, he was appointed to be the inaugural associate dean for equity and inclusion in the College of Nursing at Penn State University. He was the first ever male registered nurse selected for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Health Policy Fellowship Program, in which he served as a policy advisor to then Senator Barbara Mikulski on the Senate Health Committee during the historic health care reform debates and the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And Luciana Roberte, who is a Latino gay immigrant living with HIV and is an advocate for LGBTQ communities, social justice, and HIV rights. Originally from Argentina, he has been living in New York City for the past 13 years. He serves as the Director of Community Engagement at the Latino Commission on AIDS and is part of the executive team of the Oasis Wellness Center. Luciano is the lead feature in the first ever Spanish language TV ad for an HIV treatment in the United States. He has been recognized as a leader in New York's LGBTQ community the past three years on the Pride Power List, as well as he has been featured on HIV.gov, The Body, Plus Magazine, and many other publications and media platforms. HIV remains a global health challenge, affecting millions of lives. It's not just a medical issue. It's deeply entwined with social, cultural, and economic factors. To address it effectively, we must recognize the unique needs and perspectives of different communities and individuals. In this episode of HME Connect, we explore the critical importance of providing culturally sensitive and inclusive care to individuals and the power of empathy cultural competence, and community engagement in providing support, reducing stigma, and improving outcomes. Thank you both for joining me. No, thank you so much. So we continue to see high levels of late-stage HIV diagnosis and a significant amount of people who are falling out of care. Do you all think that culturally specific barriers and biases in healthcare settings are a driver of these issues in HIV care? Yes. Yes, of course. And actually... A specific barriers and bias contribute significantly to late HIV diagnosis and also to STIs, as well as disengagement of care, you know, especially for LGBT immigrants, minorities, and other people of colors. It can be manifested in multiple ways, such as homophobia, transphobia, racism, xenophobia, you know, breaking those stereotypes in healthcare settings, I think is very important. Yeah, we have a healthcare system that is steep in institutional and structural racism. It's the nature of being (laughs) in America. We have landmark studies that go way back, the Institute of Medicine that talks about how inequities occur in our healthcare system, irregardless of when everything's the same, 
the ability to pay, health insurance, people of color in particular get less types of care, get less quality of care. All of that still exists. None of that has really gone away. So, yeah. So following on that, I mean, culturally responsive care is a tool to improve health outcomes. Dr. Fields, can you define it for us and how does it differ from other care models? So here's the thing about all of these models, particularly culturally responsive care. Culturally responsive care attempts, and I do say attempts, because sometimes it doesn't get there, to take into full consideration a client's cultural nuances, beliefs, behaviors, all of those things from a cultural perspective that could potentially influence or impact the way in which they receive their care, how they receive their care, how they work through their care. And you really got to pay attention to all of those things because, quite honestly, we should be treating people in our healthcare system as individuals with unique needs and not painting everybody with a very wide brush. Because from a cultural standpoint, that's when you're going to miss things and you're going to do harm when you don't intend to. I think it's really important. Now, could you maybe describe what culturally responsive care looks like in the real world and how it improves in a person's engagement in care and ultimately improve outcomes? So in a real world context, before you have a conversation with the client about what's going on with their medical wise, you have a conversation with them what's going on with their life. It could be as simple as between the last time I saw you and this time. What's been going on with your life that may impact or that I may need to consider in coming up with a plan that we agree upon for your health care today? It's about asking the question, uh, quite honestly, Calvin, and people don't ask the question. Healthcare providers are too rushed. The model takes time, and you do have to ask those questions. It could be, you know, how is your housing situation? You know, how's your job going? If they're in school, how's classes? All of those things. And then is there someone or something that has happened that needs to be involved or considered in the healthcare plan that we come up with to address your healthcare today? Luciani, do you uh, have some insights on, on that from your perspective? Yes. You know what? For your previous question, I agree with what Dr. Fields mentioned. And I also want to add that one size fits all approach are no longer a strategy to follow. You know, HIV care is evolving and it's no longer about just finding a medication that will stop the virus from reproducing. Now it's a more comprehensive approach, as he explained it, that needs to meet all clients' need for a healthy living, you know, from physical to mental health and addressing the whole individual rather than just the vital law. Uh, but how this look in real work, I would say that unfortunately for some healthcare providers uh, and settings, just putting a country flag or an LGBT pride flag on the main door is not enough. It's more 
about asking for pronouns and actually using them, having a staff that speak, you know, the client's language and providing information in multiple language, acknowledging the existence of multiple cultures. You, you know, there's too many. You don't have to be an expert in every single one, but just acknowledging that people may respond different is important. As the doctors say, a lot of active listening and asking questions free of stigma, discrimination, breaking a stereotype and assumptions. You know, a client feel more comfortable when they are in, in that approach as the center of the services. And also when they see people working on, on the health settings that look like them and act like them. I think that is important to have as well. You can't be an expert in everyone's culture. It's just not possible. But you can develop ways, Calvin, that allows you as a provider to be more respectful and honor the things that clients bring to any patient interaction that supports them and affirms them intentionally. I think that's a, the important keyword there, right, is intention. You know, when we think about healthcare spaces, my time working in a healthcare clinic, you know, it was, did you get up every day with intention to serve the people who walked in the doors? And I think that in the hustle and bustle of having providers on such short time schedules and not really emphasizing the importance of meeting people in the way they want to be met to address their healthcare concerns, but also understanding that those people aren't a monolith of just the healthcare concerns that they walk in the door with, that there's all sorts of factors outside of that that really impact who they are and how they operate in the world. So in that vein, and Luciano, you working with community engagement, where you do, I think, you know, from the perspective of the person receiving care, what's a culturally responsive care provide on that individual level? I think it will definitely improve health outcomes and orientation of care. You know, there are some studies that show that those numbers and results are real. For example, an immigrant clients that face xenophobia, or discrimination in healthcare settings may not come back. However, if they receive a culturally responsive care, their trust with the health providers grow, will foster a more transparent and open conversation that will help the provider to better serve these clients and understanding those differences and those barriers that an individual may face. That's so important. So what is the impact of state and non-state violence criminalization of behaviors, stigma, discrimination, and immigration on access to healthcare. So all of those things are potential barriers in one way or another. And again, you only ascertain whether or not they are barriers for people when you ask them about what's going on in a culturally responsive way. I think it's really unfortunate that still today we're talking about the wealthiest country in the world, and we don't have adequate health care for anybody, quite honestly, uh, except for those who are really wealthy and who can pay whatever they want to get what they need. But that basic level of health care, which is what we tried to do when we passed the Affordable Care Act, I say we because I, I was a health policy fellow at the time working on the bill in the Obama administration. And based, remember that, that essential health care that gave people a baseline of care, gave them access to mental health, irregardless of their immigration status. 
the overcriminalization of HIV, we know study after study says that you cannot criminalize people's behavior that way. It leads them to avoid care. And locking people up isn't going to solve the problem. I completely agree. You know, you can have a profound impact on healthcare access. For instance, an LGBT immigrant may avoid, you know, seeking care due to fear of deportation and harassment. There is a lot of community education that we need to do and to see, you know, for immigrants and depending on the immigration status, how they feel comfortable sharing information in those places. For example, a, a human rights campaign report highlights that LGBT immigrants are 25% less likely to engage in the healthcare system if they suffer for any fear of deportation or arrestment. Same thing applies for trans folks being discriminated or anyone, you know, feeling judged by the sexual orientation, the sexual practices uh, of the culture. And it's something that we see every day on people's history when they share with us, that, you know, from clients. And I think that also brings me to the thought of, you know, what is the role of, you know, our cultures and our religions to that impact the way that, you know, we access healthcare, but, you know, really engage in it? So, you know, I consider myself to be more spiritual than religious. I think religion is really problematic at times. I prefer to talk more about spirituality, about humanism, about connection, and no matter what your faith is, quite honestly, if you believe that you should treat people with kindness and that we should help one another, then how can you discriminate against somebody? How can you hate them? What is all that actually based in? You know, where is your empathy? Where is your compassion? If we can just see each other as fellow human beings, we can get beyond all of the religious dogma that says that your sin is worse than my sin. Because, you know, everyone sins. Let he who is in that glass house throw the first stone. To me, it makes no practical sense. So I, I try to match my practical side with my clinical side with my scientific side. But I partly approach it. From a humanism standpoint, I treat everybody the same. Yeah, I think that's so important that maybe our our spirituality, but our, our religion should be kindness and empathy, especially when we work in these spaces where we're dedicated to serving people. So something that I find really exciting to talk about and I think is really important is what is the significance of health literacy and language justice in increasing the access to culturally responsive care? I think that plays like a very important role. It always that they're here to talk about language justice and literacy. Uh, it brings me for when I was diagnosed with HIV. I was new to this country. I didn't speak English at all. I'm still learning, <laughs> but I didn't speak at all. And this doctor with the best intention, I always want to highlight that, right? He has the best intention of working with me, but he didn't speak Spanish. I didn't speak English. And I was receiving a diagnosis of HIV. We all know much about HIV, neither. All that I thought at that moment, and it was wrong, is that I was going to die from it and the only gay people get it. You know, so the importance of, of how different it could have been for me to, to read information about what was HIV, to read, you know, information about who it was you, and other things to make me understand what was happening and what was going on. 
I remember he kept saying that I was not going to die. But when I heard the word die, all I was hearing is you're going to die soon. So I think it's very important to provide people, you know, information that they can understand. And later on, we were able to connect with an interpreter on the phone and get more clarity on my diagnosis. But it was it was a very tough moment. And I think it's important to highlight those things. Language concordance, we know from studies, is important. People need to understand what it is you're saying to them. And language concordance between a healthcare provider and a client improves healthcare outcomes. That's just bar none. Health literacy, however, is much broader than just language. It's written materials as well. It's videos. It's anything that is conveying information within the system that could necessarily be misinterpreted. We need to have appropriate interpretation services available, and they need to be funded because we should have professional Mm -hmm. interpretation services, not the use of family members. That's not appropriate. And and a lot of times it violates HIPAA laws. So we got to be very careful, but we got to make every effort to optimize health literacy in any setting, especially when you're giving somebody a diagnosis such as HIV. So what do you think is the importance of providing the entire healthcare workforce from providers to the front desk training on approaches to integrate culturally responsive standards? It's super important because it's not just the doctor. It's everybody that we as a clients, as a patients, connect with during the process, right? A quick example, and, you know, it's not just about hospital and clinics everywhere where we, you know, nonprofits and other service organizations that provide services to our clients. A couple of years back, we rented a space for our office in one big building, right? We noticed that in the front desk, it was not managed by us. We only have one floor in the big building, but people from the front desk was very homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic. You know, we have to do a lot of cultural response, LGBT sensitivity trainings with them in order to try to fix the problem and how clients feel when they come to our office. We're no longer there for multiple reasons, but definitely this was one of the important ones because we want to make sure that our space is a safe space for our clients and, you know, coming to a front desk that is not managed by us and ask for a state ID only when many of our clients do not qualify for one or when they are mistreated because of the sexual orientation or gender identity, it was tough. So I think it's super important that everybody that connects with clients at any level should go through training and have the capacity to respond in a more cultural, responsive manner to our clients. Every aspect of the clinical setting needs to be culturally responsive. That's from the security guard that might meet a client when they first enter a facility to the front desk person that collects the client's information and checks them in, to the nursing assistant that will place them in the room. These are touch points and an opportunity for something to go culturally awry before the provider ever gets to see see the client. And it could 
really uh, severely impact their experience, that front desk person especially is very important. So, you know, you arrive a little late. That front desk person basically can be the decider about whether or not you see your provider or not, whether or not you get chastised for being late or not. Even though, you know, you might have had childcare issues or some other issues that you just took three buses to get to your appointment because you don't have, you know, transportation. All of these things are things that could affect how you feel about getting care there, about whether or not you would come back. Whether you walk into a space, I think clinical uh, institutions need to do a physical cultural assessment of their space to make sure it's welcoming. You know, if you have pictures on a wall and the clinic is in a majority, people call it community, but yet all the pictures on a wall are nothing but white people, that's a problem. If you have an all-white staff, that's a problem. Representation matters. You need to have appropriate signage. People need to walk in and feel as if they belong. That's culturally responsive care. So lastly, what do you both think we need to do as next steps? to get us to a better place where we can be more culturally responsive in our HIV work? I think we have to embrace compassion and kindness and treat everybody with respect. I'm sure and I trust that all this scientific science, science science will work on getting a cure for HIV and will work in getting the most effective and updated medication. From the other side, from nonprofits, for clinic and hospital that see clients every day, I think our role is to embrace compassion and kindness and treating people with respect. I think we do a lot by just embracing that. Yeah. You know what we need? We need universal healthcare in this country. We need a safety net for everyone. And we need to provide, very much like we did with the Affordable Care Act, the essential health care benefits for everyone, so that everyone at least has a level of access. Because, you know, we don't even think about HIV as this acute care you die from illness. This is something that you can very much live with uh, a full life. These are things that your regular health care provider, your primary care provider, should be testing for. Everyone who goes to any type of healthcare provider, routine health maintenance, you check your HIV status, we get you into treatment, we have highly effective treatment, but we don't have the basics for everybody to access our system. And we still have too many barriers. And again, we need to address the institutional and structural racism within our system head on. And we need to start keeping people accountable. If I can tie your mistreatment of a patient to racism, then as a healthcare provider, you should lose your license because you've done harm. They're not compatible, much like other healthcare outcomes. If because you cause a worse patient outcome because of your, your ism or your bias or your transphobic or whatever, then you should not be paid for that visit. Money talks. That's a way of keeping people accountable. People will start to change their behavior when you hit them in a pocketbook. I want to thank my guests, Luciano and Dr. Fields, for joining me on this important conversation. 
What we really need most in this aspect is kindness and empathy when we're taking care of the people that we have promised to serve. I think the one takeaway today really is there is no one size fits all for any of our communities. And if we can humble ourselves enough to understand that we don't understand everything, I think we'll be in a different place. And hopefully our healthcare systems will catch up. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. HIV Connect is made possible through educational grants from Gilead Sciences and Merkin Company, which has no influence over the podcast series topics, content, or speaker selection. To learn more about today's topics and other subjects, visit AIDSinfoNet at www.iapac.org backslash support backslash AIDS infonet or click the link in the show notes. As IAPAC's Senior Advisor on Community Engagement, I want to hear from you. You can email me at kpugh at iapac.org. You can also find out more about today's guests in our show notes. Until next time, please be kind and take care of yourself and each other.